I think one of the challenges I see, and I'll be quite blunt here, Please. is that the money often goes to companies that are funded by northern people. <laughs> yeah. Like you have people from the development who come here, build their own company and, and get those fundings. And if, if you look at it, not that it doesn't exist, but it's rare to, to find like when a Senegalese person or a Guinean people or a Malian people have their company funded. And and I think there is still that barrier that we need to get. But but I think, yes, for me, they should definitely invest. You're not even talking about an American or an English company in America or England. You're talking about an American comes to Senegal and yeah. starts an organization. They're yeah. more likely to get funding than if a Senegalese person starts yeah. the same organization. Yeah, right? def- definitely. Definitely. Why do you think that is? I mean, uh, should we go into political views then? <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Rowena Luke, and you're listening to Aid Evolved. We'll be hearing firsthand the stories of people who have dedicated their lives to fighting poverty or delivering healthcare. People who are experimenting with the idea that technology might help us do this work better. And as we learn about their inspiration and fears, their doubts, and their triumphs. My hope is that we can also piece together a few lessons learned for those of us trying to do the same. Today, I am beyond excited to welcome Ismaila Diene to the show. Ismaila has worked with me for many years at Damagi, a social enterprise focused on mobile technology. And if you were to read his profile on our website, you might think he's an IT auditor or something. He's a humble guy. What I'll tell you, is that Ismaila is part of our global executive management team, runs a major practice within our consulting division, is a representative to government for us in multiple countries, and at the same time, he also manages to bring technology leadership to our product roadmap, raises two children, and balances a host of side hustles outside of work. Long story short, this man is crushing it, and I'm pretty sure in a few years, I'm going to be working for him. So I was pleased as punch when this soft-spoken man agreed to come on the show and talk to me about his life. Now, Damaki does a ton of work in digital health, and that's going to be a whole episode of its own later this year. But this episode is not about Damaki. It's about Ismaila, the life and side hustles of this child of Senegal on the global stage. If you're an American wondering how or why talent from Senegal goes into aid, and what the cultural and historical baggage is around that, this episode is for you. Or if you're from Senegal and you're wondering whether you might work in aid, you want to hear how someone else got drawn into aid work and how to contribute towards your community, not just at work, but after work, this episode is for you. But don't listen to me. Listen to Ismaila. Here we go. I was born and raised in Dakar, Senegal. I'm the only only boy in the family of, of girls. My my dad and my mom tried to have a boy for a long time. They had a first girl and a second one and a third one. And finally I came and they tried the last one. And it was a girl again. So I have oh, uh, four, wow. four sisters. Poor man. Yeah. And in, in, in a strongly, strong woman family, because uh, yeah, the women of my household are quite strong uh, entrepreneurs. <laughs> I, I, I was telling uh, the other day that uh, I'm a feminist by default uh, because I, I don't have a choice with like some really strong women <laughs> in my family. I'm sure your sisters wouldn't let you be anything else. <laughs> Definitely. My mom is almost 60 now, but she's still traveling the world doing business and 
Oh wow! And then and running things, so uh, I, I I get a lot of my inspiration from from them. That's awesome. Great to hear. And what did you study? So I did most of my um, until high school. I was uh, in Senegal. Then, as as a lot of Senegalese people, I emigrated in in France, and and studied. Uh, went to an engineering school, 2005 in Paris. And so, when you graduated from school, and you know you had this background in engineering or computer science, what did you think your career would be? What was your aspirations at that time? To be honest, I just wanted to earn money. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Particularly time, after being a student. <laughs> ex- exactly. At that precise time, I've, I think I wanted to to be able to to earn some money and. Importantly for me, it was to to kind of make my craft, right? Like learn, discover different ways and styles of working, different experiences. And I think that was the most important for, thing for me because I always had a mission in my mind. It was to come back to Senegal at some point. I, I knew that oh, I, nice. I didn't want to emigrate forever and make my life abroad. I know that I needed to take advantage as much as possible uh, of the time I had there to to, to learn and and, and kind of had as much experience as, as I could. So so, so, so I think, yeah, for, for me at the end of my study, it was like, where where can I go to challenge myself and to continue to, to grow? And, and a bit of luck as well. <laughs> my last year of study, I started applying pretty much everywhere uh, at that time. As one yeah, does. And I think uh, someone from a company called AXA Invest Manager sent me from London uh, like an email saying, yeah, they're interested. I mean, they have an internship for me. And I was like, I don't know much about AXA Invest Manager. I don't know anything <laughs> about England, but yeah, why not just go there and, and figure things out? And and that's how I started my first real job. Glad that that worked out. And you mentioned that you always had an intention to come back to Senegal, even from the very beginning. How did you get that sentiment? For me, uh, home is a thing for me. Like like the sentiment of being home and impacting not just your family, but your community is really, really important for me. And, and, I, and I think that that was the yeah. driver, the early, I mean, that, that, that was the driver in, in my mind. Like I, I can travel forever. I can visit any country, but I have to come back at some point home because I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones <laughs> and and if if i if if i go and i and i get all this learning all these things and i cannot like help people who look like me and who are struggling that, that that's uh, that's a failure for for me personally so so i think that that's for me that that, that was one of the drivers and i like of coming back and i think if i look at my generation i have a group i have the same group of friends uh, since what kindergarten more more or less ha huh, that's we're, amazing yeah we're more or less what six seven seven group of friends we, we and if i look at in in that group i would say 75 percent came back uh in, in that group so it really looks like with my generation things are things are uh are getting more into the the, the side of okay we're coming back home and, and trying to create our businesses yeah. work here and, and do things here that's awesome. That's great to hear. I was I was going to say, like, we need to foster that attitude, but it sounds like it's already happening. Compare that to me and my college classmates. You know, I'm from Canada and 75% of, of my group from university, they've all, they're all in the United States right now. So you guys are a step ahead of us um, on, on the home front. How did you end up finding your way back 
to Senegal. And how did you move uh, from your private sector IT career into the development space? So that that's a, that's a funny story because I, I didn't... Uh, so when I came back in Senegal, I wasn't ready to come back for professionally, <laughs> meaning that I huh. came back for other reasons, uh, for for love, <laughs> for 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 for, <laughs> for my reason. for my wife. But I didn't come back what in Senegal. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, good I, for her for dragging you back. I, I, I would <laughs> say that her. I would say at the beginning, you when you when you come back and you don't necessarily have the the job you look you were looking for, etc. You you uh, reconsider those decisions, but at the end of the day, it did work out for me. <laughs> but but yeah, I was I, I had worked in in between Paris and London for uh, what six seven years, and I, I was dating this this lady who was living in Paris, and we were doing this back and forth. Uh, so suddenly she decided to to Long to, to go back to Senegal before me um, because. Oh, no. uh, yeah, she her she wanted to get closer to to her family and to her mother, and and I had a choice: either I stay a little bit more in in, in the UK and continue to to develop my career there. I was already a project manager there, and I was I think I had mm-hmm. a, a good path in the, in the company I was, or uh, or I I kind of uh, cut early my my adventures in in Europe and then go back and 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 kind of. Uh, Make sure I put a ring on on that uh, on that finger, <laughs> and and yeah, after oh man, you're in the hot seat. <laughs> tough position for you, Ismaila. I mean, it, it was tough, but but I think at the end of the day, um, I, I mean, retrospectively, I made the right choice, obviously. But but I think <laughs> at, at that time, I, 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 I think so. I, I, I definitely <laughs> think so. <laughs> and your wife is lovely, by the way. <laughs> You did well. At that time, I was I, I was not hesitating, but I was trying to take the, the the steps and take the time to make that work the the right way. So I started looking for jobs yeah. uh, remotely, which which was not great. Like this was 2013. Looking for job on the web in 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 Senegal wasn't as developed as it, as it is now, and it wasn't as easy to find a job back then. Trying to reach out with some contacts mm-hmm. and then had a few. Uh, remote interviews and then a few uh, promise, not really offers, but some some promise. So I took my my bag and 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 the the, the few things I, I I gathered in London. I bought a ring actually, and I and I took my flight. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. That, that's the story of why I came back. That must have taken so much courage just to leap into <laughs> leap back to Dakar without without a job lined up, without certainty. Yes, yeah, uh, some some courage. Yeah, maybe I would say some some a part of craziness as well because if i look at look back i i think i divided my salary back then by five whoa or six wow something like that <laughs> that's insane that's insane <laughs> that's literally the choice i had to make and i was like yeah let's do it <laughs> we'll figure it out Things you do for love. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but I mean, it's incredible that you, you were able to do that both for love and also for Senegal. Exactly. You know, like it's, exactly. I can imagine like we, we, we want, you know, we want talent to to come back to Senegal, to stay in Senegal. Yeah. And sometimes the cost proposition is just, it's just not there. Yeah, definitely. The, at the beginning, things were a bit complicated though, because I took one job because at some point I needed to, to work. Something completely different that I was doing before, it was mostly uh, IT manager like it was actually uh, an, an agro company that was producing milk and, and other goods and I was just managing their mm. their IT 
network. Uh, so it was completely different. I didn't last there. <laughs> I, I then went with my, uh, my sister who had not a, into milk, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I went to work with my sister who have, um, who have a, a company and, and help her there. And I had a crazy first kind of, uh, six to eight months where I, I, I stumbled left and right. And actually my company in England called me back for a short uh, contract. So I came back in England for three months before coming back to Senegal and started uh, huh. my auditing job with uh, with Mazar. Gotcha. So you kind of all over the place. But then how did you get into development? How did you move from the private sector into aid? Yeah, so that that's as well a lot of luck. Uh, <laughs> coming back to that, I think a lot of luck and something I will also recommend to a lot of people is, is kind of developing your network slowly and surely. Hmm. So I was working yes. for Mazar. I was an auditor slash IT consultant there. I was in a trip in Niger auditing a, a company in, in the petrol sector, uh, in the oil sector. And I met uh, in a hotel a lady named Carla Legros, uh, who, will become my man- <laughs> who will become my manager a uh, few few months later. So I, I, I met her, but we didn't speak. I think we were in, in a hotel, a restaurant, something like that. A few months later, uh, I went to a networking event and then I recognized her there and I was like, hey, I, I think I saw you in Niger. So we started speaking, exchanged details. She was, she was like, I work for this company, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I went back home, Googled the company, saw what we was doing. I was like, okay, this is exactly what I want to do for my for the rest of my life. And and that that's how oh, it nice. started. So I think it was part of luck, uh, part of just being at the right place at the right time and 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 as well recognizing when something is made for you as well and then i think i i had that the first time i went to the dimagi website i knew that this is what i wanted to do and and that that's that's how nice. i i shifted into into the development sector that's awesome Ismail, i have a question about you on that front it's it, it goes like this my impression is that in in canada or the united states these aid organizations they, they draw on a lot of talented people with the promise of you're going to do good. You're you know going to go to Africa and help starving people and that kind of thing. And so because of that social mission, uh, we can draw in talent at submarket prices, you know, at, at salaries that are lower than what they would make if they were in the private sector. I've also heard that for someone coming from Senegal, uh, it's not it's not quite the same, uh, you know, because to a large extent, as long as you can lift up the whole country. Uh, you know, just, you know, by, by boosting the economy in a variety of ways. And it's, you don't really think of, you know, and I, I don't know if this is the right way to say this, but like helping those poor people in Africa in the same way that you would as like someone coming from the Peace Corps. For you, coming from the private sector, it sounds like you you did see Demagi's social mission and you were immediately drawn in. Can you unpack uh, what I've what I've just said in in the context of your work, like, do you think there's there's a there's a there's a, a lot of people in Senegal that are excited to work in aid? Like, is the concept of aid uh, a real thing and a motivating thing for for young people, or is it is it this weird distinction that is more for other audiences? For me, it, it, there there is no distinction because I, I'm working in this in in these geographies for these people who are who by de facto are my people so i, I don't see a difference mm-hmm. be, between a regular work i would do somewhere else and and i'm 
we'll we'll get to that later. But I'm I'm big into like kind of empowering people in in how in in kind of surviving and more than surviving, making a life for for themselves. And and I think for me, uh. working and creating value through aid or through something else is by default the way of of kind of helping my people. And then it's about value creation for me and and empowerment and and, and trainings and, and all those things. So so for me, I, I, I don't yeah. see the I, I don't see the difference. I, I don't see that that, that discrepancy, uh, as you mentioned, that, that 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 could be the case for people coming from the US or Europe, etc. For for me, it's about like yeah. because I work here and I hope I'm I'm trying to create value and good value, not bad value. I'm 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 I'm, mm-hmm. I'm helping my people by default, and and at the end of the day, that's that's what we want to do uh, for 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 your own community. Yeah, actually, that makes sense. And even if I think of Demagi and the kind of work that it does, like it is structured as a social enterprise. Mm. Um, it's not, you know, a nonprofit that is just give, handing out food to exactly. people. You know, yeah. like the the way that it's structured is a certain way. Is it is it fair to say, like, if you'd seen an organization which was a hundred percent private, you know, building apps um, to for healthcare or building apps for agriculture and had no connection to the aid industry? That would still be interesting and relevant to you and what you were trying to do in Senegal. I think it would be interesting that there is a question about now: does does it work? I mean, when I say does it work, does the business model of that <laughs> company and the impact they're having, like, does it fit together? Because sometimes, mm. sometimes you can be successful as a company, but the value you're creating is negative <laughs> and, and you're, you're, you're exploiting people or you're, you're hurting economies or environment or things like that. So, so for me, it's all about that, I that see. math and that equation. Like does it fit, does the whole thing fit together? Because for me, yeah, if I, if I go work for an oil, oil industry company that's exploiting, not paying taxes and, and, <laughs> and then leaving people poorer than they are, <laughs> I, w- I would definitely avoid to, to work on that type of industry unless I believe I can change it, which is a, another story. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Esmela, we could talk forever about all the things that you do inside <laughs> of Dumagi. I wanted to take a second and ask you about the way that you're making change or starting things up outside of Dumagi. I think I'm I'm aware of a couple of different side hustles that you have on the go. Yeah. Um, is there one in particular you want to talk through? Just like how... I mean, the, the question for me has always been, how do you find the time? For these? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know, I know, for example, and we've talked about this before, you know, you're, you're part of a, like a social investment club. You have a, a brick company. There's another company. There's some uh, thing you've done with Comcare and Ag. And, you know, there's a, a couple different things over the years that I know you do even outside of your day job. Can you talk a bit about uh, one of them and just, you know, pick it, unpack it. Tell me what's going on there. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think I have to main focus right now the i mean there are a lot of other things but i, I don't think the, the, the two focus are <laughs> there the, are a lot of other things <laughs> the, the, the investment company is actually supposed to be an agriculture uh an ag ag organization to invest into ag and then kind of do better and more in ag while it it's not awesome. the case yet it's because we want to we want to raise capital before we we go bigger. So we we structure it as an investment company where we we save money, invest into other organizations as well, and that's where 
the, the, the brick company came, uh, there are other things we invested in. And that's the idea is to, one, take the time to build capital because we don't want to go to banks. <laughs> it's another yeah. story for, for Africa that we can come back later on, but uh, we, we don't want to go to banks, so we want to raise that. So that's one. But the, the other one where I'm, I'm, I'm proud to, to be is I'm, I'm working with an uncle of mine. We used to work at the WHO. He's retired now. And he created a, a community-based insurance nonprofit at that through a state-sponsored kind of uh, scheme is uh, providing cheap health insurance to uh, to people uh, with uh, not a lot of revenue in 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 in, uh, in, a, in, in a commune in Senegal called Yof. That's where I was born and raised. Uh, it's a commune of about mm. seventeen thousand people, and we we basically through that that uh, that nonprofit are providing a service where people can uh, subscribe to that uh, community uh, insurance uh, and 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 then have when they fall sick or they, they want to go to the pharmacy uh, they have part of their uh, bills uh, taken taken uh, in charge by the state and, and by the insurance so that's what I, uh, what I've been doing for now what it's been already. I think it's been already four years now. Yeah, so something that I can't remember. Wow. And and I think awesome. yeah, what what I try to do because is we're we're not the only insurance like that. Like every commune in Senegal have one of those. I mean, he's supposed to have one of those, but the problem with them is that they are still using a lot of paper. Uh, the, the, the organization is not really well done, and and usually they fail, and and they're not able to to continue their mission. So I, I voluntarily work with my with my uncle to to help him kind of structure uh, the organization, bring an information system, and obviously I use Comcare uh, that Dimagi, <laughs> the product that Dimagi is yes. proposing into into the picture. Uh, but as well, I bring other things. So we, I was able, for example, to to uh, to to get like a, a printer to to print some some uh, ownership card, some member cards for for the people etc cetera, etc cetera. so just generally we 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 have been through that and and I think uh, into this year we're trying to go bigger one uh, to extend the system we put together to other organizations that are doing the same thing in Senegal uh, I'm actually too busy to do that, but I need to to, to push that. To uh, <laughs> I have a I have a couple of people waiting for me to to help them put that together. And and two, we wanna uh, integrate uh, the insurance the the information system we put together with like the hospital systems, uh, notably the one hospital that is in uh, in Yof, which is the the commune we're working on, and we wanna put right. put the the system together so people. Instead of having to come to to the insurance to to get like uh, to to get the paperwork and and go to the hospital etc., we have a whole integrated system where they can just go with their cards to the hospital and get their treatment. So anyway, that's a bit nice. of what I do. But uh, that 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 that's be that has just been taking my weekends for for a long time, and my wife is sometimes a bit <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> oh man, I want to ask more about both, but I think I'm going to have to. Pick one. Quick, quick question, Ismail, for you on the pr- project that you're doing with your uncle. Is that is that a classic 
aid project? Like, is there a funder? Is there investment going in? Or is it no, commune driven? Not at all. There is zero money outside of the money we invest personally. My uncle mm-hmm. to, to purchase some of the things, me uh, for my time and as well money to, to buy some things. And as well, like the money we raise from the community. So the community is supposed gotcha. to give a, a little bit of fee, a little bit of fee to, to cover to cover their insurance. So most of it goes back to, to the treatments and the medication, but we take a little bit of it to, to kind of pay for uh, the machines and the systems and the cars and things like that. So, so yeah, my most, most of it is um, uh, volunteering. Uh, we also leverage as mm-hmm. well the, some volunteers in the, in the community. So mostly uh, young, young people, uh, to to go and do the registration, so so they use mobile uh, to to go back uh, to do like a nice. round of registration with with the, with the people in the community, and then we try yeah. to get them. And is that yeah? Is that part of an existing organization or commune or social structure, or is this an initiative that your uncle started? So, I sorry, yeah. I know it's an issue your uncle started, but like I'm wondering, is this like in, is my my mental model of it? Is it kind of like you know someone in Canada starting a nonprofit, or is this uh, like a local commune, like local government structure? No, so it's uh, so basically the government put the structure in place. I mean, put the the, the organization in, the the structure in place for the org- for people to voluntarily go ahead and create those organizations. So. Um, so it's, oh, it's basically both ways. So the government has set up the structure and the payment structure and, uh, uh, and, 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 and the incentives and, and all the, the organization and obviously uh, allow that through law to, to happen. And then people in each commune are supposed to uh, kind of uh, sit together and decide how to create those things. So, so it's usually individual people who volunteer yeah. to go ahead and, and kind of create that. So it's nice. kind of it's kind what of I, non-profit I, because yeah definitely there is no revenue in that like you do it you're you're not creating <laughs> value like, I mean you, you're not generating revenue the, the everything that you generate you it reinvested into treatments into medication or into like the system fascinating and what I what I find fascinating about both examples that you've given both of these these side hustles is is that it speaks to a different model for how development, if you want to call it that, or like how, mm-hmm. how, how we can work to improve Senegal. Yeah. In the first one that you're, in the first example that you gave, you know, the investment company, the agriculture investment company that you're, you're putting together. I find it interesting how you talk about the business of gathering capital. Yeah. Maybe, let me, I guess maybe my question is, is, is around entrepreneurialism yeah. in Senegal. You know, you have an agriculture organization that you want to start. If you're in if you're in San Francisco and you're in the Valley, you can get venture capital. You can get angel investors. Yeah. Um, it sounds like the landscape. I'm curious to hear more about the landscape of yeah. that in Dakar. It sounds like the the first step is how do you even get that initial capital? Exactly. And that's that's kind of what you're doing with the investment company that yeah. you've set up over there. Is that right? Yeah, that definitely. And I think one of the biggest challenge we have and it's not just in Senegal. I think in Nigeria and Zambia and Zimbabwe, like I, I, I hear often the same thing when I discuss with some African and sisters and brothers, um, that the big challenge mm-hmm. is that you cannot have cheap money. When I say cheap money, you cannot lend money <laughs> from banks 
or, or other investors at a cheap interest rate. So we're talking about eight, nine percent mm. in Senegal interest rate per year. And in other countries, it even go to 20 percent and more than that. So even with an oh, eight, nine wow. percent in, in Senegal, that's that's not a sustainable for a business. That's not a sustainable kind of interest rate that, that you can uh, have to and have a sustainable business, especially when you're just starting. So um, mm-hmm. you you have uh, other um, financial institution like the microfinance institution that are here as well that that are trying to allow people to 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 get those uh, those investments, especially for uh, farmers and and uh, other small uh, small businesses. But but even them, they they have really really high interest rates, which makes it like really mm-hmm. the real challenge. How do you get your business funded and 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 i think for me one of the solution is really community and and it exists right now even in 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 in, in the us with, with this uh, website where you can get individual people to to put money on on the table and then fundraise that way oh yeah kickstarter kickstarter and all of those things so for me it, it's it's a way we can replicate a bit differently uh in 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 senegal mm. in africa where you look at like people who, are, who have same interests, uh, who are willing to take some risk, and then who can kind of put a bit of capital, uh, either by bulk or slowly and surely, like we're doing, uh, putting together a bit of capital through time, so so we can we can raise enough money at some point to to, to do the investment we need to make. Uh, but but it's a real 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 big challenge. Everybody has the same question uh, all the time because yeah. on, on top of the interest rate, usually they, you're asked to to bring some guarant, uh, guarantees, and those guarantees are like uh, I mean you, your house or whatever, <laughs> and then that that that's a that's oh. a that's a big challenge as well. So so uh, yeah, particularly when you have kids that need to live uh, I mean, somewhere. Yes, that definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I love what you're doing there in terms of creating that capital and, and trying to create that investment platform or that, you know, that crowdfunding platform um, that you're talking about. Since, you know, since a lot of folks listening to this podcast are in the aid sector, I'm, I'm curious to ask about the role of aid in all of this. And, and specifically, let me call out, you know, in 2010, the administrator of USAID said that they wanted to increase their funding for local organizations in sub-Saharan Africa from 10 to 30 percent, which would be a huge investment um, from from the United States into into small organizations and startups in places like Senegal. I guess my question for you is: Do you think that would work? You know, as we talk about the journey to self-reliance and local organizations building themselves up more, and you think about your you know, the work you're doing with Damagi and the work that you're doing outside of Damagi, what do you, what do you, th- do you think it's realistic <laughs> that aid can work as an investment mechanism for the kinds of ideas that you have? Um, and, you know, if yes, how, and if not, what are the barriers? I, I think it has, it has to be, I mean, I have a conviction. For me, the conviction is that we should, we should invest in the livelihood of people and giving them the chance to really build their own their, their own wealth and, and their own sustainability. For me, mm-hmm. there, there should there should never yes. be investment in health without investment in agriculture or in 
microfinance or in XYZ, or all these other sectors that are necessary for people to live. Right. So, so for me, it's about really closing that cycle. So, I, I, and, and that's what I would tell to people, right? Like if, if I'm able, obviously we want people to be healthy, but what's even better is get people a job where they can pay themselves for, for their health. <laughs> so, so that, that's always yeah. the mentality I'm trying to, to look at and how can we do that? So now to come back to your question, I think th- there is a real challenge. I think, yes, uh, USAID and PMGF and, and all these donors are investing into, uh, in, are trying to invest at least into companies, but there, there are often challenges uh, which are that usually you have a critical mass that you need to be able to to get that money or to to borrow that money from them or to get those grants from them and of, yeah. often um it, it's a limited number of people i have some friends who, or some people that i know were able to get those grants and some successful some successful companies uh, are grew through through those those grants i'm i'm talking about for example oh, that's great uh, the, there is a company. I'm not sure if I can cite some name here. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, La Lettre du Berger. We actually used to work with them. Yeah. They, they actually created a branch that that is doing kind of fresh fresh deliveries from for fruit market, food, uh, meat, etc. And and now, I mean, that company has been funded, and and they are now quite growing and, and, and having more way more business, et cetera. So those are the type of examples that exist. And, and I think they are really nice examples. That's great. At the opposite, I think one of the challenges I see, and I'll be quite blunt here, Please. is that the money often goes to companies that are funded by Northern people. <laughs> yeah. Like you have people from the development who come here, build their own company and, and get those fundings. And if, if you look at it, not that it doesn't exist, but it's re- it's more uh, it's rare to, to find like when a Senegalese person or a Guinean people or a Malian people have their company funded, and and I think there is still that barrier yeah, yeah. that we need to get. But but I think yes, for me they should definitely invest. You're not even talking about an American or an English company in America or England. You're talking about an American comes to Senegal yeah. and starts an organization. Yeah. They're more likely to get funding than if a Senegalese person yeah. starts the same organization. Yeah, de- right? definitely. Definitely. Why do you think that is? I mean, uh, sh- should we go into political views? And, and <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble, Ismaila. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's not I'm, I'm I mean, I think, I mean, we, we're in a world where we, we're seeing some some change. And I, I won't say some change, but some realization of the greater number that unfortunately the world is uh, structured in a way where people from certain origins, colors have been dominating the world. <laughs> Maybe the better question is, yeah. how do we change that? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good question. You and me, Ismaila, how do we change that? It's, it's a good question, and and for me, there there, are, there is no perfect solution. Like I said, I'm not oh. I'm not an optimistic, but I'm not pessimistic. I'm realistic, and I'm looking at the situation and see, okay, what can I do? What can I do to change things already around me? So I think for me, mm-hmm. the, the the mistake we want to do always is try to change everything at the same time. Hmm. And, Interesting. And then I think uh, I might be wrong, and sometimes maybe sometimes a shock might be 
enough to change everything. But but I believe for things that are rooted in history, like we're talking about systems that went from 300 to 500 years ago that are more or less still in place in different ways, but that the root of it is still mm-hmm. there. How do you change that in mm-hmm. a year, in five years, in 10 years? I don't think it's possible. I think you have to do it slowly <laughs> and surely. And, and I think mm-hmm. one, from the Western point of view, I think it's one about re- realizations first, like self-awareness that this thing exists. <laughs> uh, yeah, just calling out the problem. Exactly. Like you're doing right now, I think is a huge That, that has to happen. That, that, I mean, that has to happen first, because otherwise we're, we're talking, we're, we're on two different realities that where we, we will never be able to find solutions. So that, that has to happen first before we get there. And I, yes. and I think we're so far from having the greater number realizing that is happening. We're still having discussion over internet or with, within families where people are fighting because they have a different view of like what's happening in the world. But, but I think there are historic facts and current facts that we need to all agree upon before we're able to move ahead. But that, that's the real print side. And I cannot control that side. But for what I can control for me, it's about doing small and, and, and sustainable change around me. I cannot change Senegal. I can change what's happening in my neighborhood. Or at least I can try. <laughs> so that, that's always yeah. what, I, what I think we should all try to do. And once we have done that, then we can go to the next step. So starting with how can you help people around you? How can you help your community? How can you help mm-hmm. people uh, who are looking uh, for jobs? How can you create value to value and, and, and employ them? How can you improve their health? Like doing those small things Absolutely. around you, for me, is the, is the first step. And when we're able to do that, uh, we can go to the, to the next stage. But today, the, the main problem, and I'm not getting into politics, but even people <laughs> who, who have really good intentions about changing the system, I, I feel like don't understand the system enough and want to like kind of overhaul it. And when you do that, the problem mm-hmm. is you're going to fight your own brothers and sisters <laughs> that, that are in the system right now. Huh. So it needs to be, for yeah. me, an iterative and, and kind of slow pace change around you first before you get to the to the next stages yeah wow ismaila that's deep i love that i love every i love exactly how you've described that we only have a couple minutes left (laughs) ismaila is there anything else you wanted to add before we run through the rapid fire questions no i I think for me uh just um like i i know uh if i if i can give like just one advice uh Life advice. And, and like I said, some things that work for some people doesn't work for other people. So I'm going to talk for what worked for me. And I believe some people could, could try in their life, especially young people who just are starting their career or, or, or trying to, to, to get this thing work is, is one, never settle in, in what you're doing. Um, I, I, I think... How do you mean? I, I think you should always look to improve and to to get better um i think complacency for don't me don't get too comfortable exactly is the worst thing that can happen to to an individual is like mm. stay within what you know and and what you do it, it can be comfortable but but i think if you want to progress in your career in your life you always need to try new things you always need to to push a little bit the barriers and that's even for this problem we were talking just about uh, just before, like 
it's because of complacency that us Africans haven't moved forward. I, I know that we're having some challenges and things that are blocking us, but because we are in a system where we're a bit complacent, we, we are not at level seven or instead of staying at level six today. We could be at level 11, but we're still stuck there because I think too much of us are complacent and are not pushing the barriers. And that, those barriers, like I said, don't try to change the world, change just what's around you first before getting there. So yeah, a little advice of mm. like, yeah, go, go for it. Go for the next job. Go for, <laughs> uh, go for the, <laughs> go, go for the next conference. Go, go for, go for what what's next and then and, and don't try to settle too much on, on what you're doing. I love that. If you never reach, you'll never grasp. So you got to start by reaching for it. Ismailik, I have a few quick questions here to wrap up our show. First question for you is if you have any requests for donors or policymakers, you know, you're, you're talking to Bill Gates right now. What would you say to him? Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, there, there is Boom. too many, too many things to to say right now. But but, but I think well, one, well, you should fund your company. Yes, but go on. <laughs> yes, fund me. <laughs> Definitely. No, no. I, I think I think one thing for me is like is kind of trust trust the local people in 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 telling you what's best for them. Uh, I I feel like often. We come with uh, when I say we, even myself, I have sometimes the the it's not the intention, but I, I have that that reflex of coming with preconceived ideas and what I know. But but I think giving the chance and the opportunity of people who are facing those challenges and, and in our sector, the users we're training or the people we're working with, I give them the chance to to not just tell you their issues but tell you how they could fix it. And, and I feel like we're always coming with the savior. I, I'm including myself in it. I'm talking about the aid sector in general. We're coming with the savior mode. We can, we know what's best for you. We know how to do this. Uh, you should come humble and, and happy to help people do what they believe is best for them. And obviously challenge them and ask them questions and, and see how we can help them. But but we, we shouldn't believe that we're better and we're trying to, uh, to to do what's better for them. Yeah. And what's interesting there is even if a donor might come with a very smart solution, even if they come with the right solution, there's something about building the capacity yeah. of uh, people yeah. to start their own companies, build their own technology, learn their own mistakes. Yeah. And if you never learn those mistakes, if you never have those mistakes, you'll never learn from them. And so there's there's value in the learning. That happens. Definitely. Esmaila, do you have any technology that you'd recommend, a uh, tool or product other than Comcast? Yeah, no, no. I've, I've, I think I would say a, a good side app that takes you out of, outside of your work, a good podcast app, a good a good music music app. I'm using uh, YouTube Music right now. I'm a big, big, huge music fan. And I, I, I used to have like all these compilations put together and, and something, some things to relax when you're in the middle of uh, stressful uh, deliverables or other things like that. So, so I would say a good music application for me is a starter. Nice. That makes sense. And I didn't even ask you about your, your history as a rapper, but we'll do that in the next interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, the many layers of Ismaila Diane. Ismaila, would you like to offer a shout out to another mover or shaker in this field? One person... And and I'll go in a different direction, right? Uh, I, I think often oh boy. We, we we talk often about people in organizations and 
and and and CEOs who would change things, etc. I, I, I want to shout out uh, someone in a in a government actually, um, um, and and that would be in the government of uh, Burkina Faso. Uh, his name is uh, Bukhari. Uh, he's the director for information systems and. And for, for people who don't know, you, you should look at what um, Burkina Faso is doing in terms of ICT4D and, and, and really how, how really far away they are from any other country of the region. And, and, I, and I think that's a testimony for me of, of people and then specifically uh, Bukhari, who is, who is definitely, I think, a... Uh, Pushing, pushing the envelope, and then should be an example for for other people in in the region and other governments in the region. Awesome, great. Last question for you, Smela, is on the reading front. If there's a book, article, blog, or podcast you'd recommend either for work or for fun. Yes. So uh, to, to come back to the uh, to the contentious topic we had, we had before, uh, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm all about kind of learning more about Africa, our history, the challenge we had. Uh, recently and in the past, and and then I think there is a, a great podcast that uh, you can find that's called Archive d'Afrique, which is a I'm not sure if there are any English translation, but it's a really great podcast that takes you through some of the recent and less recent political and 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 kind of uh, big events uh, in in many countries in Africa. It goes through Ghana and and the Congo and and others. So so it's it's really a great 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 podcast. Nice. I'm gonna listen to it. Thank you so much for your time, Asmaila. I really appreciate you being on the show. This was amazing. Thank you, Rana. Really, for as always, putting me outside of my comfort zone. It feels like that's your job for me always. <laughs> now, imagine this guy. Flying home after running a national health worker program in Benin, and then on his evenings and weekends, raising money for this agricultural enterprise, or hacking at apps with his uncle in the local commune. Just imagine the differences in scale, in funding, in the people who are at the table between these two kinds of projects that Ismaila is leading. If you'd like to support Ismaila's agricultural investment fund or health insurance scheme, you can reach out to his personal email at ismailadiene at gmail.com. And if you'd like to compare these side hustles with Ismaila's day job at Damagi, stay tuned. Here on Aid Evolved, we're going to do a deep dive on Damagi later this year. I asked Ismaila, what is the next side hustle he has in mind? And he said he was thinking about starting a podcast about woman hustles, inspired by the thousand businesses his mother has founded in her life. You never know what to expect from this guy. But one thing's for sure. He's going places.